the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Okay, well, should I do Trampus's introduction? I don't think I've ever done an introduction without Trampus before. Do it. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle. Very excited to talk to you today about all things Shadow of the Dragon Queen. My name is Megan, and with me... My name is John. Um, we are going to be talking tonight about the uh, the various videos that have been released from Dungeons and & Dragons and D&D Beyond, um, focusing on Shadow of the Dragon Queen that have been released so far. And there's a number of videos both from the the, D, the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube account and also from the D&D Beyond YouTube account, which I guess is now under the umbrella of Dungeons & Dragons, but they, they sort of, different videos, different sort of perspectives. And you and I were talking, and I think, well, I should say, now that I'm thinking about it, the Dungeons & Dragons videos and the D&D Beyond videos have a very different sort of tone and style from one another. And I right. feel like these... These Dungeons and Dragons videos are probably more geared towards like the old school players, whereas the D and D Beyond ones, I think, are intended to draw in the more new players. And so, I agree with that. I was thinking that it would be a good idea for us to talk for a little bit about what's upcoming, what we're excited about, what we think about, what's in these videos, because these videos are kind of the newest. Thing. I mean, this is the last things that we're going to find out about. Shadow of the Dragon Queen before it's actually released is coming out of these videos. So I think it would be a fun idea to talk about it and talk about what we're most excited for. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am very excited. Uh, as of the recording of this uh, podcast, it is nine days away from the digital release. Um, if you did your pre-order on for uh, one of the bundles. Uh, so I am super excited to see what's coming in nine days. I actually just got my code today. Finally went and got it. So I got my code. I got it emailed to me. I put it into D&D Beyond, uh, into the website. And it says I'm going to have access to the digital version. I don't know how to actually verify that if I just have to wait until the 22nd and hope that everything worked properly. So I'm a little bit nervous that something's going to come along and be like, oh, no, you didn't enter. You you skipped one of the commas or something, and now you're not going to get it. No, it's, it should be good. Everything should be good. As long as you got a thing that says you got it, then uh, damn it, you got it. Great. I can't wait. I'm uh, I'm very stoked. I can't wait to... I'm going to... Like Dragons of Deceit, I'm going to devour this new book once it's released. I'm just going to shut myself away for like two days and read it. Mm-hmm. But let's start with the uh, a video that was shown on Dungeons & Dragons and the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube channel. It features... Uh, Todd Kendrick is kind of like the host slash interviewer and F. Wesley Schneider, who is the project lead for Shadow of the Dragon Queen. And the video is called Everything You Need to Know to Play Dragonlance. And I just want to say up front, and I think I've said this before, but I just want to say up front, I'm never going to get used to calling Takesis the Dragon Queen. <laughs> She's always going to be the Dark Queen for me, or the Queen of Darkness. Yeah. I don't like the sort of... I like to think of Takesis and Tiamat as... Maybe they're sort of the same, two different sides of the same coin, but they're still their own distinct personalities. And so I like Takesis as the Dark Queen. Dark Takesis is just so like, she feels so much more personal to me than Tiamat does. Tiamat feels more like a, a force of destruction, whereas 
Takisa is like a character with her own personality and her own motivations and her own goals. Right, because you don't ever get any uh, any lore. You don't get any novels about Tiamat in any of the other worlds. And uh, here at the Nexus, you know, we we love us some Dragonlance. We love us some lore. We love the novels. Uh, so you know, obviously, Takisa shows up in way more novels than you're ever going to see Tiamat in uh, for any other setting. I feel like they kind of retconned Tiamat a little bit. Like Tiamat became more important because she was associated with Takesis, but now because there's all these books featuring Tiamat, they had to kind of now 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 Takesis is becoming Tiamat rather than the other way around. Right. Uh, yeah, but, makes sense. So what we know is this: uh, the described as a setting for war. We know that described as a massive campaign um, featuring the biggest conflict in D and D history, which of course is the War of the Lance. Mm-hmm. They discussed how the book is going to be set in a location which exists in the books, but has not necessarily been a central location in the adventures or the novels previously. So it's exists within the lore, but it's um, ha- has never been center stage. And it's described as a somewhere on the eastern fringes of Salamnia. So what do you, what do you think when you hear eastern fringes of Salamnia? Well, I'm, you know, obviously we get, we're, we're, we're getting some of Calaman that's been included in the art, uh, the mini sets, there's a Calaman warband. Um, and if you're a fan of the original trilogy, obviously, uh, Calaman is part of, uh, the, the end of the war of the lands. However, um, at this point, you know, that is years in the future, uh, for where this adventure is going to take place. So we're going to see Calaman. Um, but who knows where else the story is going to lead us, right? Uh, Calaman is just perhaps, you know, a staging ground, your home base that you can return to uh, as you go adventuring around the the eastern edge of Salamnia, which is, uh, Calaman is very close to Dargard Keep. Uh, Dargard Keep is just a little bit south and west from Calaman, so... Uh, I'm I'm wondering if there's going to be any kind of forays into actual Dark Guard Keep, knowing how central Lord Soth is. That's something I've been wondering about too. Like, are we going to? I think it's it's very likely that we're going to at least go into Nightland. Whether we'll go fully into Dark Guard Keep or not, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. There is art that I think is supposed to be in Dark Guard Keep. Have you seen the one where it's like a man in purple? He's like made of purple fire, and he's reaching for a woman made of purple fire. On the yeah, floor, yeah, I, th- I yeah. think that has to be Soth, Soth and his wife. That would be awesome. Yeah, and there's a uh, sarcophagus with you can see a skeletal body inside in the background. Um, I am so excited for the artwork in this book because uh, I personally think that a lot of the fifth edition artwork has been outstanding, and to get that kind of upgrade to the artwork for Dragonlance uh, compared to what we've had in the past. Um, Super excited! This is going to be awesome. I I have the uh, the Beetle and Grimm's box set pre-ordered, uh, and they always have the artwork taken out of the book and put into little folding pieces of paper. Uh, so those are just going to be on display all over all over my D and D man cave. The art I've always liked the art of Fifth Edition as well, but I feel like this art that we've seen so far for Dragonlance, I do feel like this is honestly a step up from what we're used to. And yeah. That. That gives me confidence about the quality of the product to come out. I don't think they would invest so much time and money into creating such stunning art if they didn't feel like 
the product was really worth it. Maybe that's just me speculating. Who knows? But I think yeah. it. I think it says something about the quality of the product in general. So I'm, I'm excited. For that. They're they're inv- investing a lot of time and effort into this release. And there's a description when they talk about sort of how the adventure begins of the player characters being in this eastern Salamnic area, and they start to hear rumors of rumors of things which shouldn't exist, specifically dragons and deities. And draconians. Draconians, yeah. So I kind of like that idea because it reminds me of the the beginning of Dragons of Autumn Twilight, when people are like starting to hear rumors about things happening. Like in the the first few chapters of Dragons of Autumn Twilight, they're talking about like rumors of armies in the north and they're wondering if they should go and check it out. And of course they end up getting caught up with the blue crystal staff, so they never actually go there until later. But I I I'm hoping that this adventure is going to evoke a little bit of that where you're sort of seeing things from the perspective of, you know, the companions where events just begin to happen and they start sort of rolling out like a wave and there's no escaping it. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of, you know, the, that initial video, um, they, they kind of hint at, and then, uh, the, it's kind of touched on in more detail later. Uh, there, there's going to be an in-world explanation, um, for, clerics uh there's going to be some introductory um kind of adventures some scenarios that include you know clerics druids and and paladins your kind of divine casters um it's going to you know kind of explain the absence of the gods up to this point uh as well as you know you are going to be the first characters to encounter draconians and so you know when rumors start spreading of draconians um, in other lands, the rumors are, are started by you. Like, that is awesome to me. That is so cool. Yeah, so when the companions in Autumn Twilight hear about rumors from the north of strange creatures, your your character is the one who's who brought those rumors into the light. Yes, yes, that is freaking awesome. Yeah, that is cool. Um, I'm really interested in, in in knowing that the absence of the gods is going to be a feature because that's something that... My personal opinion, I didn't think felt very clear from a lot of the early material. I was like, are they going to do the whole thing about the gods disappearing? How are they going to handle clerics? How are they going to handle, I mean, like, how are they going to handle clerics before Gold Moon? How are they going to handle um, paladins and, and characters with this divine magic? And it seems like they've worked something out. I'm, I'm guessing it's not going to 100% match up with the pre-existing lore because they are committed to making sure that Players can play any class right from the get-go, so mm-hmm. they have to make it so you can play as a paladin or or a cleric. But they are at least aware of how that doesn't quite align with the traditional lore, and they've included something to help to bridge that gap, which I think is... I mean, we're never going to get a Dragonlance from uh, Wizards of the Coast that completely incorporates everything from Dragonlance ever perfectly. You know, such a thing would not be exist, could not exist, and even if it did, it would cost a million dollars to produce. Right. Um, but they're they're taking steps and that's a good sign. They're aware of where the contradictions between fifth edition and second edition are, or fifth edition and third edition are, and they're trying to bridge that gap and I think that's the best that we can hope for, and I'm glad that they're doing it. Yeah, and you know, there's uh 
when they talk about Dragonlance being the setting for war, you know, I, I don't like that phrase, the setting for war. Like, there's wars in every D&D setting, and there's a lot more to Dragonlance than the War of the Lands, okay? Let's just get that out of the out of the bag. Um, you know, there's room for love stories, there's room for exploration, there's room for wacky, zany, you know, all kinds of games can happen on Kryn. Um, it doesn't have to just be the War of the Lands. It could be events around the War of the Lands. Um, it could be, you know, nothing to do with the War of the Lands, but still happen while the War of the Lands is going on hundreds of miles away. You can be doing your own mission somewhere else and has nothing to do with the war, you know. Anything could happen. Um, but Gold Moon, you know, maybe is just the most famous of the clerics to emerge after the Cataclysm. Maybe your character is actually going to precede her um, by some months. And, you know, because of the storytelling, uh, because of, you know, location, perhaps you're just not heard of as much as Gold Moon because she is famous. Um, so, I mean, there's there's room for a lot of things. It's just like Star Wars, you know, if you're playing an RPG and you're playing in the time of the original trilogy, you might have the greatest Jedi uh, that could beat Luke Skywalker hands down. Um, that doesn't take anything away from Luke Skywalker, just like this campaign won't take anything away from Gold Moon. Um, however, you know, there's plenty of room for everybody's story to be told. And one of the things that they highlighted in this discussion is that sort of sort of what we touched upon is that they don't want they don't want new players to feel as if they can't play Dragonlance without having read all the material, which is totally understandable from a business point of view. They want to attract new readers. They can't put up this wall, um, this like barrier to entry. But I think that they're and they're but they're also using these introductory introductory scenarios that seem like the idea is to introduce little snippets of what makes Dragonlance Dragonlance early in the adventure, so mm-hmm. people kind of kind of get it. And I think. And that's going to bring me to the next video, which is um, a video that's from D&D Beyond called Dragonlance Adventure Preview Letters and Preludes with uh, uh, Amy Dallin and Eugenio Vargas. And they're talking about this letter that was introduced um, or this letter that has been revealed that's going to be sort of the setup, the hook to get all the different characters in the same place. Um, a letter written about somebody named Ispin, Ispin Greenshield. Uh, a Salamnic, I assume, who's been, who's died, and you, your player characters are friends who, who are all sent these letters saying, hey, this guy's died, come to his memorial service. And then when your characters are sort of on the way, they can have these little prelude adventures. And I think, I actually like the term prelude. I don't know if that's going to be officially in the book, the word prelude, but it definitely harkens back to the two prelude trilogies from Dragonlance for me. But one of the yeah. scenarios, they describe it as I in the, it's, I don't know if this is, again, I don't know if this is the official title, but they describe it as I in the sky. So I think it's for the magic users who want to kind as sort of like an introduction to what magic is all about in Dragonlance and introduces the idea of the, the three moons and the orders of high sorcery. Mm-hmm. There's another scenario that's called Broken Silence. That's for clerics, paladins, and divine casters. And I think this is going to be, this is going to be where the clerics meet the gods or they get a a vision from the gods or hear the voice of the gods um because that term broken silence makes me think the gods have been silent since the cataclysm but now the silence right. has been broken 
I, I love the title. I hope these are the titles. These these three uh, little prelude um, adventures. I hope these are the titles that are in the book because the the titles are very evocative. Um, they bring to mind certain things, and then once you hear about like Broken Silence, you know you you like I was talking about a minute ago. You are the one that hears the voice of the gods. Your character is the the character that gets to bring healing back to the world, um, you know, in this part of the world. And it is so very cool. Um, so very cool. I'm very excited to read these prelude adventures. And then the last one is called Scales of War. And we kind of, we kind of hit on this already about this is the one where the draconians are revealed to the players. So this is sort of the first, the first emergence of draconians on the stage. Mm-hmm. So I think this is going to be, I mean, they, they, they need to introduce these are optional adventures. So if you've never, somebody's never played Dragonlance before, these little prelude adventures should introduce them. These certain elements which are core to the Dragonlance setting. And I think it's, I think it's excellent that they included these because I think it's very important that these certain core elements, these things that set Dragonlance apart from other settings, that they get introduced early. So players see right away, this is what makes Dragonlance special. Right. And, you know, depending on uh, on your DM, they can expand these concepts that come up in these little um, prelude adventures. You know, they can if you've got a DM that wants to run with the the concepts in them. You know, they can elaborate as much as or as little as they want uh, to make that a, a continuing part of the story. So, um, including you know later on uh, in the adventure, there is a chance to take. The test of high sorcery, so um, which starts off, you know, it's kind of first hinted at during your prelude adventure with the the mages of high sorcery. Yeah, let's jump over. No, actually, sorry, before we jump, because I want to jump to mages of high sorcery, but there is one thing I do have a criticism that I wanted to talk about. Um, is that I think I don't like the idea of this letter inviting people to the funeral. How do you feel about that? I feel a little like unimpressed by that. Um, I. I personally, um, I, I like it. It's it's a different way to get everybody um, together than your your typical you meet at a bar. Um, it's a new concept to me. I've never heard of anything like this before, so I thought it was uh, a pretty cool idea. Um, and I just know that this is going to be one of the uh, the in world props that I'm going to be getting from the uh, the Beetle and Grimm's box set. I have a feeling that this letter is going to be, you know, printed on some, you know, some parchment paper and it's going to end up in this box and it's going to be awesome. My thing, this is a good tool for newer DMs, newer players. They're they're not quite sure how to bring this party together. Uh, I feel like if you're a for veteran Dragonlance players who know the setting really well already, I think I feel like it might be kind of restrictive to have to include this random is it's been green shield person in your backstory. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, it's a minor complaint. I don't. I will maybe, maybe I will include it for players that I think need it, and maybe ignore it for players that I think don't need it. Maybe they could come for a different reason. Right. I see the utility in it, but I personally am not super excited about it. I think I'll probably come up with a different explanation to bring everybody together. But who knows? Maybe I'll just do it that way. Yeah, and you know, your uh, your players' backgrounds. You know, they might already all know each other in a, from a different way, so you don't have to worry about this scenario uh bringing everybody together you might already have your group 
might already know each other and you're in the town of vulgar or whatever it's called. Um, you know, so they already might be together um, and on their way to this town for the festival or some other reason. So let's go back or let's continue on to the mages of high sorcery. Um, so we all know the mages of high sorcery are aligned with, Oh, this, this video is called mages of high sorcery. Again, this is, um, this is on Dungeons and Dragons YouTube channel. This is Todd Kendrick and Wesley Schneider talking again. Um, they discuss the magical moons of Kryn. Anybody listening to this podcast probably is aware of the three magical moons of Kryn and their affiliation with alignment. Um, they, uh, Wesley Schneider mentions that the, the term mages of high sorcery was done explicitly for fifth edition to include all types of magic users. Mm-hmm. As we, as we know, wizards of high sorcery, as they're described in the older editions, does not make sense in fifth edition. And they, they're going to have to, they were going, they were always going to have to, to do something with that. They were, they were never going to be able to get around that. So right. I, think- I was, I was always curious how they were going to handle the, uh, the wizards in fifth edition. And, I think it's a pretty elegant uh, way to handle it myself. There are still, you can still have renegades, um, whether they be sorcerer, warlock, or wizard. You know, you can still have renegades because it still talks about that. Um, you know, you can still have people that do not want to follow the the scriptures and the the rules of the orders. So just because you're a sorcerer um, doesn't mean that you can't go renegade hunting uh, a warlock that's not following the, the, the rules set down by the conclave. Uh, and the test is still going to be included. The test of high sorcery, as they called it back in the day, is still going to be included in the setting. Yes, they, I'm they so excited. Des- <laughs> they did describe it as a, and I'm quoting here, a core aspect of the Dragonlance setting. And I'm glad that they said that, because again, that makes me feel like they're taking this they're taking this lore seriously. They They looked through it and they said, what is essential to the Dragonlance setting? What absolutely has to be in there? And one of the things that they decided absolutely had to be in there was the test of high sorcery. And I think that's an excellent decision because I think everything that the magic users of Ancelon do hinges upon this test. And so to include it is critically important, although I, they did not explicitly say if you fail, you die in the video. So I think they're probably going to ease up on that a bit. Yeah, but it is it is mentioned, you know, that it is a, a deadly test. Um, they don't come out and specifically say that if you fail, you die, but they they say that it is you know, has been known to be deadly. Um, I don't know exactly what all Ka- Todd Kenrick does at D anD D, besides interview people and look devilishly handsome. But I do know that he is a huge fan of Dragonlance, so. Um, you know the fact that he's the one doing these interviews. Um, that's that's good for me uh, because I know that he is a he is a real fan, regardless of the the corporate stuff um, going on or not going on. Who knows? But uh, at least they have fans within the company that are uh, discussing these these books. He he made a he made a comment that I really liked when he was talking about the test, and I think this is a great way to explain it to to people who uh, are more are maybe familiar with more broader uh, pop culture, but don't necessarily know Dragonlance. He described the test as a combination of the Gom Jabbar from Dune and the Sorting Hat from Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a very succinct, this very succinct way of putting it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm you know I'm currently running. A Dragonlance game uh, for the Tyranny of Dragons, uh, and I have two 
wizards of high sorcery in my group, um, and one that is playing the playtest version of the Lunar Sorcerer, uh, who is actually a Kingfisher uh, for the Knights of Salamnia. So this book is immediately getting use uh, as soon as it comes out because of the uh, the backgrounds surrounding the, uh, the orders of high sorcery, the feats, um, that stuff, and the Lunar Sorcerer uh, subclass itself is all getting use on day one. Well, it seems like the Lunar Sorcery subclass is... It's the thing that most people in general, at least that I've seen in my experience, is the thing that people are most excited about. Yeah, I, I love that he uh, he talked about, uh, I think it was Jeremy Crawford, said that they were thinking about tying it to the actual phase of the actual moon whenever the, the group plays. Um, that would have been funny, a uh, little hard to manage maybe, but would have been uh, funny if they would have kept it like that. Yeah, and I was thinking about that too. So there's the Lunar Sorcery subclass video. That's it's uh, the Dungeons and Dragons YouTube. It's with uh, it's with uh, Todd Kendrick and Jeremy Crawford, and they're talking about the the Lunar Sorcerer subclass. And they they do talk about um, like I didn't I didn't think that he meant like like if you look out your window as you're playing the game, whatever the phase of the moon is. I thought it meant like the phase of the moon when the characters are going on their adventure, kind of like what it was in, in more old school Dragonlance where you had to track the phases of the moon. Yeah, I, I took it to look out your window. What's the moon look like? That's what your character well, is that's in right certainly, now. That's certainly easier to track. It's certainly easier to track, but uh, you know, depending on if you only get together once a month, you're always going to be in high sanction or low sanction. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking what um, they could do is just streamline it to be like um, for the first say like for the first third of every month uh solinari is dominant for the middle third lunatari is dominant for the last third newatari is dominant maybe that doesn't make sense in astronomical terms but i was thinking that'd be kind of like a streamlined way to do it if you wanted to include something about your lunar sorcerer being directly affected by the phase of the moon you could yeah. say like okay well when when are we going where what time of the month is it when we're going on this adventure oh it's the beginning of the month okay that means that solinari is dominant so therefore i'm going to have my lunar sorcerer attune to the to the full moon phase and just connect i mean the 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 different phases as described in the lunar sorcerer and the different moons of Kryn line up together very well so you can just swap out the names you swap Full moon phase for Solinari, swap, swap crescent moon phase for Lunatari, and swap new moon phase for Nuatari. And you don't have to, you can just completely ignore the idea of phases entirely and just say, today my sorcerer is drawing their power from this particular moon. And that works really seamlessly in Dragonlance, yeah. I think. I mean, they needed to make the sorcerer subclass work in other worlds and work for players or characters who might go from Dragonlance to a different world. So it still had to work. So I think that's why they went with the idea of the phases. But if you know that your character is only staying in Dragonlance, you can just just swap out the phases for this for the specific moon, and it's going to work perfectly. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Uh, it's a, it sounds like a very well put together class. The options are, you know, you don't have this many options for I don't think any other class. Um, the way that you can swap out your phases. You know, for the the cost of some sorcery points, um, you can just you can become a different character in the same day, right? You can you can go from a, a new moon sorcerer um, to a full moon sorcerer in less than a round, and then your your spell casting is you know going to be very different depending on uh, what phase 
you are aligned with at that time. And you can also not change them. You could be like, I want my I want my lunar sorcerer character to be a mage of the red robes. So they're going to attune to the crescent phase, the lunatari phase, and just mm-hmm. just stay with that from level one to level ten. Right. And, and you know, you get um your bonus spells and red robes are historically, you know, aligned with transmutation and illusion. So, you know, again, the people behind this, uh, you know, they, they have opened up a book. Uh, they do know what they're talking about um, in, in some of these things. Um, so in the, the fact that the white robes uh, are aligned with divination and abjuration, um, five out of six ain't bad because they didn't quite get the black robes perfect. Uh, those have historically been enchantment and necromancy, but in this it's uh, necromancy and evocation. So, but five out of six ain't bad. And then it's on D and D beyond. Uh, it's called lunar sorcerer, lunar sorcerer build ideas with Amy Dallin and Sage Ryan. They talked about, um, different, they talked about different, um, ideas for lunar sorcerer builds. And I thought, I thought some of these were pretty funny because these are the, like none of these are going to match up with what exists in previous in previous Dragonlance, but I mean that's okay. I get that they're this you know these D and D Beyond videos are kind of intended for people who are five E fans coming into Dragonlance rather than people who are already Dragonlance fans. But I know that some of these ideas are going to make people's heads spin. But I thought it would just <laughs> be I thought it would just be fun to go over them. Just be like, what are the what are the young folk of the world thinking about when they think about Dragonlance? So they talk about, well, the moon, the full moon phase um, has spells of protection and spells of, what is it? Spells of divination. Divination, that's it. So spells of divination and spells of protection. Um, so they mention the idea of doing a multi-class with cleric or paladin. Because if you were a sorcerer with a, I think sorcerer with paladin kind of works because if you're, because you both rely on the charisma bonus and the charisma stat. Mm-hmm. So you could be like, you know, you're a, a paladin, you got the martial abilities of paladin, but maybe you're infused with this full moon phase energy. And so you've got access to additional protection spells and additional divination spells. Um, so I thought that was a fun idea. And then they they actually flipped it too and talked about, well, you could also do that with the new moon, have a, a more of an aggressive type paladin, like a Oathbreaker paladin or a conquest paladin is able right. to use evocation and necromancy spells that they wouldn't necessarily have access to. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a cool idea. It's like a way to, to beef up your paladin. And then, an interesting idea, this, if, this definitely doesn't fit into any kind of Dragonlance lore, but they were talking about a great old moon, a great old one warlock that is like, uh, harnesses the power of some kind of like hidden moon or like an eldritch moon from some other plane of existence, like from the far realm or something else. I thought that was a fun idea again. Oh yeah, that doesn't fit into Dragonlance at all. But I mean, you could if you wanted to play around with it and go beyond the lore. I could see something like that being interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that, that sounds fun. Um, creating characters is my favorite part of D anD D because um, I never get to play any because I'm always <laughs> the DM. Um, so creating like interesting character ideas and concepts is is one of the things that you know I've I've always had the most fun with, especially with. D&D Beyond being as easy as it is uh, to just whip up characters. Like, I don't get to play hardly ever, um, but I've got about 50 characters made on D&D Beyond. Well, let's brainstorm. If you play in my Dragonlance campaign as a player, 
would you, what kind of lunar sorcerer class would you, if you wanted to play that class, what kind of character might you make? So if we're going to talk about, um, you know, cool class combinations, um, I kind of, I kind of like the idea of a, a warlock sorcerer. Um, they both use charisma. Uh, you get some very interesting, uh, invocations that you could tie to, uh, you know, you can theme them, reskin them as lunar stuff. Um, maybe, you know, your, your great old one sorcerer, uh, you know, you get your power from, from the moons, um, as part of your pact as a warlock as well. So you can utilize your, uh, warlock powers and theme that as, as your lunar, uh, powers as well. Um, you know, devil sight, you know, you can see in magical darkness, that'd be a natural fit for somebody who is always obsessed with moons and moonlight. Like you deal your, you know, you do the best in darkness so you can see in magical darkness. Um, yeah, I think, I think a warlock sorcerer would, uh, would make a very cool, uh, concept to, to multi-class with. I like the idea of doing a lunar sorcerer mixed with a rogue. Do you remember the, do you remember the first of the Taladas trilogy? Yes, um, the Moon Thief. The moon Thief. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like that's the, that's exactly the kind of character that I that I started thinking of when I heard about this lunar sorcery subclass. Like, yeah. primarily you're a thief, like you're a thief or a rogue, but you draw magic in from the different moons. So I thought I thought that would be fun. That's probably if I was going to do a uh, a lunar sorcery multiclass, that's probably what I would pick. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic idea. Those are those are such good books. And then they started in the video to talk about crossovers between like what what um, races slash species slash lineages ancestries would you want to choose for your lunar sorcerer? One of them, one of them, I think was a good was a great idea. The rest, not very Dragonlance. So if if you're a Dragonlance purist, you definitely are, or you're you're you and your group want to do sort of a more pure Dragonlance campaign. You're not going to like these ideas, but I'm just going to throw these out there because I thought these were funny. So the one the one that's good is. Uh, Triton or Sea Elf in particular, Sea Elf as a lunar sorcerer, because they could have like a connection to the tides, like the pull of the, the moon mm. on the tides affects yeah. their magic. Um, so those seem to go really well. Cool. <laughs> and then they talk about, um, a, a tiefling who has like spent their whole life in the nine hells and then they come to Kryn and the magic of the moons like transforms them. Like, okay, tiefling is in Dragonlance, you know, sure. I mean, if you really want to, sure, but, um, they don't they don't fit as easily. Um and then an Aladrin, an Aladrin that can kind of like change with the different seasons, that can also change with the different moons. It's like, um Oh, that's a very flexible character for sure. Yeah. And then and then here's 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 a good one. Uh a warforged that harnesses the power of the moon. What do you think yeah. about that? Can you imagine a can you imagine a, a warforged? I mean, I guess there are sort of like I mean Castlehoff is always talking about the automaton that he saw, so I guess there's space for a war forged in Kryn. But I always think of I always think of Dragonlance as relatively low tech compared to a lot of other settings. Well, um, I so <laughs> uh, when I first started playing, running my Age of Mortals campaign um, that was put out in third edition. I had a, a guy, we were playing in fourth edition at that point, because that, that was the, 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 the new hotness. And I had a, I had a guy that wanted to play a tiefling. So 
there's a part of the story where you're in a at the beginning of uh, kind of the beginning of the first book where you're in some uh, ruined temple, like a shattered temple uh, that was overrun by this betrayal and all this stuff, um, and kind of the apex of the uh, adventure is there was a you know this betrayal by the high priest of good. Um, I, I think it was a priest of Michigan. Um And, you know, you're given this artifact, this uh, sword, it's called the Shard of Light um, in that section. Um, but, you know, there's also, I said that there was uh, the soul of this, this young priest that was killed by the betrayer was still stuck there. And there was a, a demon that was trapped there in this room. And so when uh, when that young man, the the soul of the young priest was killed centuries ago, um, kind of collided with the forces of this demon being summoned, those forces of light and good and evil and chaos uh, clashed and created this being that slept on, you know, the, the heavenly realm for centuries and he was birthed at the mouth of this valley when the when the characters went in so they're fighting some ankegs and uh, all of a sudden the ground erupted in this tiefling tiefling whatever comes flying out of the ground and you know he was a, a wizard of uh he was going to be a white robe eventually but you know that's i created it a, a tiefling just because it's what he wanted to play, so I let him play it, and we were able to come up with a cool uh, story for how he could exist in a world where there are none. So, because uh, at this point, you know, Price of Courage wasn't out yet, and Price of Courage features some tieflings, tieflings, whatever you want to call them. So, um, well, that's you can, you can make anything work. Yeah. And you can make yeah, anything exactly, work. Exactly. Um, it, it's sort of like one of those talk to your group scenarios. Like, if you're a DM that just wants to do a very sort of pure Dragonlance campaign, traditional Dragonlance campaign, and your players are on board with that, that's fantastic. If your player is like, well, I really want to play in this game with you. I really want to play in this Dragonlance adventure, but I really have this cool idea for, um, for like, a, I don't know, an Aladrin character. Right. Let them do it. You're not going to, no, it's, it's not cheapening Dragonlance or anything. It's not going to make your game any less fun. It's going to make your game more fun if your care, if your player is really into the character that they're playing. Right. It's not like uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman are going to show up at your door and uh, banish you from playing because <laughs> you're, you're playing a, you know, a, a virgin or whatever those plant creatures were. <laughs> but here's one. Here's one that you might get banished, banished from forever from Dragonlance um, that they talked about in this video. So like the, the shifter race, I think that's from is that from uh, Eberron? Like the shapeshifter? I believe so. I believe that's Eberron. Combining that with Lunar Sorcerer to make like a werewolf character, like a werewolf Lunar Sorcerer. And that just got me thinking about like people's heads spinning at the idea of there being a werewolf in Dragonlance. Because I feel like that's one of those things that people always bring up. Like there can't be drow, there can't be werewolves, there can't be orcs. So that made me right. laugh, that idea. I'm sure, I think there probably are werewolves somewhere in, in some old adventure or some old book, but I always think of werewolves as one of those things that's not in Dragonlance, but it's a new yeah. world, and that's, new day, it's a new world. It, it would be hard to track with uh, with three moons. Um, changing oh, yeah, that's of a good light point. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's why they never included them, right? Yeah, just because it's like 
which full moon do you change on or do you change on all of them? You know, which uh, that's that's a lot of bookkeeping. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about that. You could do like I mean, you could probably flavor that in an interesting ways. So like when the full moon when you're in the full moon phase, you look human when you're in the when you're in the crescent moon phase, you look like a human, but kind of wolfy. And then when you're in the new moon phase, you look oh no, let me switch those. So when you're in the full moon phase, you look like a full on werewolf. But then when right. it's the new moon phase, you just look like a human. And then the crescent moon phase, you look kind of in between. Yeah, that could work. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Or tie it to uh, the alignment, you know, of each of the uh, the moons. If you're an evil lycanthrop, then, you know, you, you shapeshift according to the uh, the phases of the black moon. If you're a mm-hmm. were-tiger, which are generally uh, good creatures, you know, you're, you're shaping, shapeshifting along with the phases of the white moon so yeah that's a good idea i dig that um last topic that i wanted to talk about that they go over in these videos is they're, they're sort of related these or they at least they tie these two topics together which is lord soth and the death dragons which have become sort of iconic in the terms of the artwork that's been released so far the mm-hmm. big purple dragon like the flaming purple dragon yes i cannot wait for the mini for that thing <laughs> that's the death dragon um so in in this video it's called lord soth and death dragons from the from the Dungeons and Dragons YouTube, it's uh, Todd Kendrick and Wesley Schneider again, and they're talking about they talk about Lord Soth, and I feel like they have a pretty good grasp on Lord Soth the character, just based on the way that they're describe, describing him in this video. Um, Wesley Schneider describes him grim, stoic, um, but he has a storied past. But he was undone by hubris, vanity, distrusting his loved ones, turning on the gods, turning on his family, turning on the knights. Um, could have prevented the cataclysm, but didn't, and now he's cursed to live. One lifetime for every soul that died during the cataclysm. And he's spent the whole time just brooding and hanging out in Dargard Keep until the War of the Lance happens. And that's, for my money, that's pretty spot on. It's, yeah, that's the the, the closest thing that they could probably uh, come up with to get down to a four minute video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, I mean, that is Lord Soth. I don't, there, there's not really anything in what I just described that doesn't match the pre existing lore. They even got the right. detail about him. One one lifetime for every person that was lost in the cataclysm. Even not yeah, that, that, that was the wording of the curse from his wife. Yeah, um, you will live you know, one life for every that you've taken this day or whatever. Yeah, and that's a small detail that they could have easily thrown out and just said he's just going to live forever as an as an undead. But they kept that in because that says something about the nature of why he was cursed, and I think that's important. Um, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, th- this, his involvement, um, you know, is one of the, uh, the, the few things that have me and, and a bunch of other people scratching their heads, uh, because Lord Soth is not a fan of working for Takesis. Uh, Lord Soth is, you know, historically not in the war this early. Uh, he's not brought into the war, uh, until much later, uh, when he is, you know, kind of becomes obsessed with Kitiara. So there is a lot of uh, discussion around, you know, what is Lord Soth doing here at this point? Lord Soth's never been known to have a draconian army, da-da-da-da-da. And maybe what we know about it has just never been described. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we've never heard of him with a draconian ar- army because it gets wiped out in this adventure. And then he goes back to Dargard Keep and broods until Kitiara comes and gets him back out leading uh, in the battlefield. There's some plausible 
explanation uh, for why he's involved. Um, and honestly, it probably just comes down to marketing uh, and he looks cool. Yeah, Lord Soth is cool. People know him from the Monster Manual. They know that his name and his look is going to get people to buy books. So they've got to include him in a meaningful way. And the way that he appears in sort of the traditional War of the Lance, it doesn't isn't going to justify him having the co- him on the cover of all your books. You know, so right. I feel like they they needed to they needed to beef him up in order to justify having him you know having him as a more as a more powerful presence within the entire war. But they do actually mention in the video, and because this is to a point that you just made, um, they do mention that Lord Soth is not a true believer in Tachesis, that she's kind of recruiting people who who hate the old gods and people who hate Salamia. Right, and he does. That's he sort is. of yeah, that's how he gets brought in. Not necessarily because he loves Tachesis, but just because he wants he is, the opportunity to get revenge. He is eager for vengeance. Um, that's the, the wording they used. And I thought that's spot on. Like, you know, his castle is very close to the city of Calaman, like we mentioned earlier. So, you know, there's, and Calaman is a, you know, it's a Salamic stronghold. Um, he could lead an army. Um, maybe he's lent an army from, uh, you know, from Emperor Ariacus. Uh, to just kind of go up north and visit Calaman and, and, and check it out. Whatever else this adventure uh, will, will hold, we don't know. But it's there, and it's ripe for his involvement because it is so close. Yeah, and we do see we do see this aspect of Lord Soth in the books. It just it just doesn't happen during the War of the Lands. It happens after during Kidiara's War because that's sort of exactly what motivates him to go to war against against Salamnia is that he wants this need for revenge and he's definitely leading troops. I don't know, I don't think he leads draconian troops, but he leads his own troops right um, into battle against Palanthus. And so I kind of feel like they're not necessarily inventing things for Lord Soth. They're taking the lore that exists and compressing it all into this into this time. So they're taking elements from Lord Soth's story that don't happen till later and kind of importing them into the War of the Lands. Yeah. Um, and the death dragons sound to me to be fantastically cool. And I love the way that they look. And this, have you heard about this whole concept of the cataclysmic fire that Lord Soth has, or has access to? Yeah. So, uh, so according to these videos, um, Lord Soth, I don't know if he finds it or if he is a keeper of this cataclys- cataclysmic fire. Um, and he uses this cataclysmic fire to kind of uh, reanimate any dead dragon. It could be a chromatic or a metallic. Um, and they, they turn into these death dragons. Um, you know, there's controversy about these death dragons, but uh, they've been around for a long, long time. Ever since the SSI Death Knights of Kren video game, where Lord Soth is seen riding them. They did describe uh, the, the Death Knights of Kren video game as part of the inspiration for this. Yeah. It, and it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, you know, and who's, who's going to complain about a new undead dragon type? I mean, I know, that's honestly, right. like they're, they're awesome. They look awesome. Their abilities, um, their breath weapon is ridiculous. And, uh, their, their legendary action is, is kind of lame for taking two legendary actions to, you know, <laughs> move half speed and do uh, a 1d8 
of damage um, to anybody that it passes. That's kind of kind of lame to take up uh, two legendary actions, but you know, any any DM worth their their salt will increase that as as needed. Yeah, so that's from the the last video I want to talk about, which is another D and D Beyond one. It's called "How to Run Death Dragons" with Joe Star and Abriel Liangar, and they talk about the that that legendary action you just described is called the Cataclysmic Rush, where they can kind of like char. I guess I guess the idea is like you're charging through a group of adventurers and knocking everybody down. And yeah, you're right. One d eight damage at whatever level it is that you're fighting a death dragon, one d eight damage is probably not going to be all that scary to you. Like you said, especially for right. two uh, two legendary actions. Um, but they have their breath weapon is really cool. So they breathe out ghostly purple flame. It does 10d8 necrotic damage on a fail, um, or half as much on a on a save. And you any medium or smaller humanoid that's killed by the fire, or any corpse that's caught in the fire, become zombies under the dragon's control. That is wicked that is that is such a cool ability and i'm i just started thinking just now this second what if you did a death dragon dragonborn who could like breathe that ghostly flame out and bring cast animate dead with it that would be so cool oh yeah yeah it's, uh, that's creepy that's that's definitely creepy for uh for a character to have access to that um and the uh the, during this video they kind of describe when would be the best place to use this so you know your cataclysmic rush yeah it might only do uh 1d8 damage but if you're doing that through a town full of commoners uh that 1d8 damage is likely to kill several people along the way um and then it turns around and breathes on them and then they all raise up as zombies so now it's got a horde of zombies between you and it oh yeah Um, that's that would be horrifying and and you know, like it talks about, like, these are the people you were just defending. These are the people you were just fighting alongside. And now they're coming for you. Um, that is so very cool. That is <laughs> such a cool, like, just seeing that, I can see that as part of a movie, you know, in my yeah. mind. I'm witnessing this scene, and it it's just awesome. It reminds um, me of the scene. Do you remember that scene in Game of Thrones when they go to, like, the wildling town and the, the Night King brings all the wildlings back to life? Yeah, yeah, and they're chasing them in the boats. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> it's epic! It's epic. Um, um, I also noticed something in this video that I I had wondered about, but I I hadn't specifically read somewhere that this campaign is going to be levels one to ten. So you can very much continue the adventure doing more dragonlancey things if you want to. So if you're like, yeah, you, know, you, you can you can start your adventure with. Like, let's say you're you're a Dragonlance dungeon master and you want to bring in some people to play in your game that don't know Dragonlance. Play this campaign with them, get them to level 10. By the time they're level 10, they know everything they need to know about Dragonlance. And then you can sort of put on your, you can continue with your own homebrew adventure or you can reimagine a classic adventure for that, more like a high level classic adventure and just continue with that. You don't have to stop at level 10. I think this is like a really good way to teach people about Dragonlance. Mm-hmm. And then you can build on it in whatever way you want. So by level 20, you're fighting, you know, 10 dragons at a time with two dragon lances in each hand. Right. Because why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the best thing, the best thing about the upcoming Dragonlance release is that it means that now we, meaning you, me, the Nexus, anybody who wants to can now publish Dragonlance material on DMs Guild. 
starting December 6th, Dragonlance yes. is opening up for the DMs Guild. So yes, we can do, you know, we at the Nexus can do adventures. We can, we're going to be releasing Tasselhoff's patches of everything. The, the Champions of Kryn, yes, is that's, that's going to be released too, I believe. Yep, chapters one and two. Um, the Tasselhoff pouches of everything revised. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be like 20 more pages of material, including a, a subclass for every core class. So you're getting, uh, we're, we're getting at least, what does that make, 11 or 12 mm-hmm. subclasses? Yeah. Um, on top of all the goodies that was uh, in the initial release, uh, the, the monsters, if you don't like the way Wizards of the Coast has done Draconians, check ours out. You might like them better, probably because uh, I designed them. <laughs> and you can always, you know, you can always pick and choose, you know, take elements from the from the official release that you like, ignore the ones that you don't like, uh, fill in with, if, if like you said, if you don't like the, the if you like everything else about Dra- Shadow of the Dragon Queen, but you don't like the way that they do Draconians, bring in the Draconians that we have in Tass's Patches of Everything. It's there. The two of them are going to pair very well together, I think. Especially sure. if you've got a group that doesn't know Dragonlance so well. Give them Tasselhoff's patches of everything because it's very readable. It's got everything you need. It's not like you know, it's not. It's got a lot of detail, but it's not so long that it's like you know, having to memorize a ton of information. Um, sort of the, the perfect gift this Christmas or this holiday season. Yes, and uh, <laughs> you know, the Draconians might not be the exact same challenge rating as the ones listed um, from Wizards of the Coast. So you know, maybe theirs are a little bit stronger or weaker um, than our versions. So our versions could be used at different levels um, than the ones found in the official books. So, you know, for instance, maybe their, their Baz Draconians are a challenge rating one half and ours are one. You know, we might be able to get a little more use out of ours later on down the road. We should make a supplement that's like different tiers of Draconians. So you can fight like a level one Baz Draconian that's just like a little foot soldier, or you can fight a level four Baz Draconian that's like a veteran and has a lot of battle experience and they're a lot stronger. Yeah. And this is me brainstorming on, on the podcast. It, it's easy to do. Just uh, just take a veteran stat, stat block, which is, I think, a CR 4 or 5. Give them draconian traits, like, you know, they turn to stone, um, and they have these different weapon attacks, and glide, and boom. It's 5th uh, edition's very, very easy to mix and match stat block abilities, and it not really, a, you know, be too huge of an effect on the challenge rate. You're not going to overpower it by giving it dr- Baz draconian abilities to a veteran. And Tasselhoff's Pouches has rules for playing as Draconians too, right? They do. It sure does. Oh, so. uh, if you want to be have, a Draconian. We, we have the uh, the stats in there. If you want to be um, any of the uh, metallic dragon colors, um, I believe they are all represented in there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's our plug. We got to plug it. It's it. I don't know exactly the date that it's going to be coming out, but it's going to be some sometime soon after the release of the official Dragonlance book. and. Um, if you follow us on Deal Nexus on Twitter, um, follow us on Facebook, the Dragonlance Nexus group, or just to subscribe to the podcast, you'll hear all about it when it gets released. And you're going to love it because it's it's a fantastic book. I am genuinely, I genuinely love this book, and I genuinely believe that all Dragonlance fans should buy it. Yes, um, the the artwork it's got all new artwork throughout. Um, we we love we love 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 our artist um, Green Adara. Thank you so much for providing all of the amazing artwork. Um, she has just done so many good original pieces for this book um, that I, I don't know honestly how we did it. I don't know. 
I don't know how we came across uh, and, and got this lucky uh, yeah. to, to work with her. Yeah, she's fantastically talented. And I think that it, her art is something that's really going to set what we have apart from. I'm sure there's going to be other stuff on the DMs Guild, but I'm sure the Dragonlance Nexus product is going to be set apart partially by the quality of the artwork that we're going to have. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, from what I understand, it's going to be available on December 6th. So uh, day one purchase uh, for me, for sure. Oh, there you go. You heard it here first. Dragonlance. Dragonlance Nexus presents Tassel House Pouches of Everything, revised edition, available on DMs Guild December 6th. So go get it. You're going to love it. Uh, but that's all we've got for today. Uh, so, John, thank you. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with me. This has been really great. Yeah, I was hoping to be able to uh, be a part of the conversation of uh, the stuff about this book before it comes out. So thank you for inviting me. Um, it's been a great time. Yeah, and everybody keep listening because we're going to have more stuff coming out. We're going to be doing a deep dive discussion of Dragons of Deceit. We are going to, I'm sure we're going to do a, a very deep dive once the book is fully released. And, um, and I'm sure we're probably going to do another episode talking about um, Tasselhoff's Patches of Everything or the new content that we put on DMs Guild. So please keep following on Twitter, Facebook, keep listening to the podcast, and we will see you all, well, on December 6th, we'll see you all back on Crin. Have a good night. Thank you, good everybody. Night.